Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode, I'm talking with Michael De Groot, who helps businesses tell better stories about themselves, frequently through images and animation. Part Dutch, part Indian and raised in Suriname, Michael had an interesting upbringing, along with adventures in many different ventures. All the different strands of Michael's life come together at the end to where we find him today as a confident creator. In our conversation, we cover a number of topics, including what happens to others when you tell your story, an insight into the drip-drip effect of advertising, and the four key things that every story has to have in it. What is particularly interesting is that, in terms of basic structure, we all have the same story. The nuances may shift, but the essence is the same for everyone. And this is why we identify so much with books, films, and the power of story. Before we jump into the interview, if not already done so, please have a listen to my TEDx talk. If you go to my website, businessenjoyment.com, a pop-up will appear giving you direct access. Alternatively, take a look at my LinkedIn profile and you'll find a link there in the featured section. This talk sets out my ethos that life and business are about so much more than just money and sets out how you can be successful and happy at the same time. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax, have a think about your own story, and most of all, enjoy. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast, Andrew. Really appreciate your time. A little bit about me. I'm, in a nutshell, normally how I introduce myself, I say to people, I'm a storyteller. And they kind of go, ooh. <laughs> and then people think, oh, he goes into schools and tells children's stories, or he's a famous author, but I've never heard of him. <laughs> and the sad thing is, well, I've never written a book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell children's stories. Um, I help businesses tell better stories about themselves. And I, I usually say things like, who likes the adverts? And there's a room of people, there might be 20 people in the room, and there's one hand that goes up. And I said, who likes going to see the movies or nowadays, you know, Netflix or Disney or whatever? And every hand goes up. So essentially, most people actually say they love stories. And so when you say I'm a storyteller, their ears prick up and go, oh, well, what exactly is that? So even in introducing myself, I try and create a bit of a story. In essence, you know, get people curious about what my story might be. Uh, in the opening sentence. So, um, and then I will explain, well, you know, there's a couple of things I do. Um, big ticket item where, which I want everybody to buy is my whiteboard animation stories, you know, like a couple of minutes telling the story about your business and why they should be buying from you. And then the other part of it is I help people if they want to, you know, train them how they can create their own story in, you know, the the 60 second introduction at a networking meeting or when you're sitting in front of a client and go, well, when they say, well, what exactly do you do? And they go, oh, OK, uh, I do a bit of this, I do a bit of that. And, you know, try and build a story in. 
So it's it's usually good to go something like, do you know when people have real difficulty trying to explain what their business is about, who they're actually trying to help, what the issue is of the people that they're trying to help, and how they, with all of their service and tricks in the trade that they've got, their toolkit, they can they can help them. You know, they can solve their problems. Um, and they go, yeah, 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 I've come across that. I said, well, I make it easy for them so that people, everybody understands literally in a couple of minutes what they're about. Mm. So, so I, I keep it short, really, because generally when I meet people, I'm interested in their story, you know, in the story of them, in the story of their business. And because I'm just interested in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and, and obviously we'll get onto this. It's going to be sort of a fundamental part of our conversation, but the, the, the story of all of us is so important in terms of getting our message across, whether that's um, uh, uh, on the website, as you say, networking, it's, it's how we buy into things. So um, mm. such a critical element. Um, as I said, I don't want to jump the gun. The fundamental, what we're going to dive into. But I, what yeah. I like, what I like with that intro there was how you gave us the information of the importance and stuff, and then nicely capitalised in terms of this is how you can deliver it in a in a nice sort of punchy way. And yeah. so, so that in, in many ways that that um, whilst that has a hook in a, a networking event, we as a listener, we've now got a bit more understanding as to how you've come around to build that up, so it has more context. Mm. Um, and that's the purpose of this the, these podcasts. It's like understanding you, so that when we t- we understand what you're talking about, that that whole story comes through the context, the depth, the, the stuff that's the iceberg that's under the water kind of thing is also seen, and we can see just yeah. below the water. Um, so, I mean, as you say, you're you're interested in other people's stories about them, um, what they're all about. So let's let's spin the tables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> throw it back to you um uh, let's get interested in your story let's find out where you came from and what got you to this point yeah that's okay i'm i'm a dutchman however uh my mother was indian or she used to call herself anglo-indian because she had a very english upbringing and my father was dutch so i was born in amsterdam a few years ago now and at the age of I've got a twin sister who's five minutes older than me and I've got a couple of brothers and um, who are both older so I'm the youngest uh, in the family but my sister and I went with my parents to Suriname in South America when we were 13 and that was incredible it exploded my brain because I had never seen poverty and there wasn't a huge amount of it but you know in those kind of countries people have people that come and do the housework and things like that and we had somebody that did in our house but my mother very kindly took her back to where she lived and we went with her sat in the car we looked through the window and we saw a shed And we went, where's her house then? No, no, that is her house. I went, oh, my God. No, she doesn't live in there. 
oh, we've got to do something. No, she's quite happy there. You know, she's earning money with us and other people. You know, that's what happens. And it gave me a real sense of understanding of the world, never having seen poverty like that in my life before, not really understanding it. It it really shook me. And just to check, um, just to check, so just it's nice to know. So the the mm. trip, the three years in Suriname, was that with through your dad's work or? Yes, or yes, yeah. Good, good question. Yes, he worked for the Bank of America. Okay. In Amsterdam, and he was posted to Paramaribo in Suriname to help a bank that was failing to recover it to make sure it wouldn't fail. And he was successful in that. But my mother and my sister and myself, we went back to Amsterdam. My father stayed for another sec- for another year, probably, to continue working out there. And um, But eventually he would come back to Amsterdam. Mm. And um, I went back and continued. My education was rubbish. Um, <laughs> we all over it was quite... <laughs> Interesting, it was I imagine. Qu- <laughs> yeah. It was quite tough, actually, because you're in a new, different culture, you know, sitting in classrooms where there is no windows, (laughs) you know, just kind of mesh to let the air blow through. And it was just so bizarre. What sort of uh, school were you at? Was it an American school that you were there? No. Was it a Dutch one? No. Local? No, it was just an ordinary, you know, secondary school, um, mixed people there were was it it following the the Suriname education system yeah which was quite close to the Dutch one okay so but they were a bit behind so if you were in grade I don't know three or whatever it was you know they were probably teaching you grade two kind of stuff they were like a year behind so I had to do a lot of adjustment for that reason as well so education was rubbish, went back to the Netherlands, had to continue education. But now I feel like I'm like a year behind now. Mm. Um, so that was quite tough getting back into the Dutch education system. So it didn't go that well. But then when my dad came back, he was offered another transfer. And there were two options. It was either going to be London um, or the US Virgin Islands. And my mother being very English, I would say, loved everything British. She had an English upbringing, although she lived in India for her young life. And she wanted, of course, to go to London. We had this unusual situation where we had to do a bit of work whilst we were waiting to go. So we had kind of finished the school year, my sister and I, and we kind of went, do we go back for another school year? No, no, you can't because you'll only be there for a few months and then we'll be leaving the country to go to the UK. So we ended up like at the age of um, 16, we, you know, start, I started working for a friend of the family, which was an uncle, which like an import export business, what import business essentially from the Czech Republic. And, um, worked in the sample room basically and then after a few months i was promoted to admin worked in the admin department uh so like a desk job and 
that was my first taste of work and money at the age of like 16 going on 17 and then we came to UK in April 77 but then it was a case of well you've got to continue your education but I went no I don't want to go back to school because I won't have the confidence to study in English and I know Dutch schools here why would you have a Dutch school so I want a job because I had taste of money I want to get a job and my brother was already working in Amsterdam so he just got a job in banking he happened to go to banking he was in banking as my dad I never wanted to go into banking and um, my sister and I went and found jobs and London these days, there were jobs everywhere. You know, it wasn't difficult. There were lists and lists and lists in the newspapers. And we found this recruitment agency and um, we got a job. We both got jobs. And I got a job in the textile industry where I was walk working in a sample department, but not, not a room with packages. It was like an office uh, desk job. Uh, and the sample room was in Ireland. For a, for a textile company. Anyway, cut a long story short, I stayed in the industry for 28 years. I've lived in Ireland during that time as well. I've always wanted to get out of the industry because it was really, really hard work, long hours. I put everything into it. I got to the dizzy heights of direct board director, sales and marketing directors in different companies. And the pressure was immense. Um, I was exhausted. I was sick. I hated it. And the textile industry, and I've been in every single, and I'm sorry if anybody in the textile industry is listening. I also <laughs> had good times. <laughs> I also had good times. But yeah, it, sometimes you're just in the wrong place or whatever it might be. It's not actually anything against the thing. I tell no. you. I'd never had it's, it my job, but it's just where I didn't want to be. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't want to be, but I I didn't feel I didn't feel I could get out, and it, it was what, really what, weird. What is, it, what is it that trapped you? Oh, it was without a doubt um, my my feeling that I didn't have the right education. So even though even right though you education. are now on the board of directors. You're, it's still the that childhood ultimately belief that you didn't have a good education holding you back. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it had it, it. There was a self-limiting belief that I carried around for all my all my adult life, you know, young life and adult life. Mm. And then, oh yeah, I was saying, I I was. I've been in every single different part of the textile industry. So I was in fabrics, woven fabrics, knitted fabrics, garments, and also the last job was yarn, uh, polyester yarn. And then I did a stint again in polyester fabrics. Just need to say, so I need, I'm seeing the, the forerunner of a pun coming up because you're going from yarn to yarns. But anyway, let's... let's yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Very good. Goes. Andrew, right. I've never picked that up. So <laughs> never, never realized that. And um, how do I get out? Mm. So inevitably, you know, you need a wake up call. And in my mid 40s, I got it. Uh, my marriage broke up mm. and it was my midlife crisis. And during that time, 
I was already interested in something that a lot of people describe as woo-woo. You know, that is, I was, I was, I traveled to New York with um, a designer, fabric designer that worked for us. She was a garment designer previous to that. And we were having a big meeting with Victoria's Secrets in New York. And very important meeting. This was breaking into America. You know, we'd always been UK based. We wanted to build a factory in Sri Lanka, which is there now, by the way. But we wanted to export fabric from Sri Lanka to end up in retailers in all over the world, including New York. So we went to Victoria's Secrets, built relationships, and all the designers there were British. So it was really easy. But on the journey, I was suffering from a lot of headaches and issues. And the garment person designer sitting next to me says, oh, um, you know, you should go and see this lady I know in Leicester because our factory and office was in Leicester. And she does kinesiology. And oh, and when we get back to the office, uh, back to hotel, I'll do some Reiki on you. I went, hold on a minute, stop. You are just talking Japanese, Chinese to me. I haven't got a clue what you're saying. Reiki, kinesio, what are you talking about? What are these things? So she's tried to explain, and I still didn't understand it. And when I when we got to the hotel room, I had this banging headache, and she came to the room and, and put her hands on my head, and I felt the heat through her hands going into my head, and the headache lifted. And I went, what the hell did you just do? You know, anyway, I did in the end study Reiki. I also, in the end, studied kinesiology. And I did all this whilst I was still working in the textile industry. But also a friend of mine had given me a book by Anthony Robbins called um, Awaken the Giant Within, which I was reading at the same time. And it blew my mind. It was like the first real English book I'd ever read. <laughs> then it was giving me ideas on personal development that I'd never come across before. I'd love to go to one of his events. You know, it's in America and it's cost a lot of money. And I, you know, I don't know how to get on it. And this one person goes, oh, I've been on one of his. He's come to the UK. I went, Really? And then the following week, she comes in with a flyer in her hand. So here you are. He's coming to the XL in London. I went, I cannot believe it. So I go to the XL and they talk about all this fire walking. And I went, ah, it's, not, it's not real, is it? And they're going, oh, you've got to sign this waiver form. I went, oh, yeah, OK. This is psychology, you know, mind games. Anyway, um, not actually going to make a fork on fire, are they? I mean, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, they're not going to do that, are they? It's not not real, is it? It's not going to happen. And I'm, I'm like, we're in this room, and he goes, right, Tony Robbins says, right, we're all going to go outside into the car park. And there's all these people, thousands of people go outside, and he's in front of these kind of metal railings, and there's this fire burning in the middle of the car park. And then we all go back in, and we go, okay, that, that must be it. I went, that's the fire walk. We went, we stood around the fire and he said a few things. We went back inside and he's getting us prepared for the fire walk. And I went, oh, this is all part of the psychology. 
And he says, okay, take your shoes and socks off, leave them there, and we'll go outside. And we're all chanting, you know, all these things. Yes, yes, and all of this. And I'm still thinking, Andrew, I'm still thinking this is not really going to happen. I couldn't see any fire. I couldn't see any hot coals until the very point that I'm standing in front of it. And I went, oh, I won't swear. <laughs> You're <Expletive. allowed. laughs> I went, this is, this is real. And I had to walk over the hot coals. Well, I didn't burn my feet. <laughs> I did exactly what he said we had to do. And I thought I could achieve anything in life after that. It was just an immense feeling. And I was on my own. I couldn't share it with anybody. I rang my sister and kind of told her hysterically. And of course, she kind of goes, what? what are you talking about? You know, and it was just bizarre. The bizarrest thing I had ever experienced. And, and just, a, well, just a very important point there is, is when we have these transformational moments and that, and that can range from all sorts. It might be just a little insight or it'd be a massive thing that you've just talked about. It is a very frustrating when we can't share that with other people who haven't experienced the same thing, because we are, we are now different on the inside, but the rest of the world staying exactly the same. <laughs> and, and you cannot get the message across to people that haven't experienced the same stuff. And it's like, no, 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 you don't get even, even if even if you had been married, you, your yeah, wife yeah. wouldn't have got it because you've not been there. No, no. No, absolutely, um, absolutely. We have, to, we have to kind of learn, relearn ourselves. Well, not relearn, but but find a way to manage that excitement because it can be in, in quickly quashed if we're not careful. So, just a, a word for anyone that has a, a moment: yes, be prepared not to be believed straight away. Hundred percent. It's it was very very difficult to go after that weekend of doing all of this incredible kind of stuff that I'd never experienced before in my life and it could have been anybody right but I just happened to have done it with Robbins but I learned a lot in that environment about myself and although I was when I got out of that weekend I had to go back to work in the office and still still and in the textile industry still still in the textile industry this is now in my last job yeah, yeah. and it was very, very tough to feel so elated and so confident about myself that looking at other people who are like, oh, Monday morning, you know, and I learned this phrase kind of go, when people used to say, how are you? And they're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, how are you? Yeah. I used to go, I'm outstanding. And they kind of go, what? What's the matter with you? Um they made so much fun out of me, but they kind of started to warm to it. They could see the change in me. They even stuck labels on the back of my chair that said outstanding. And I never knew who did it. And uh, so, but I had to tone it down a bit, you know, but then what happens is it kind of dissipates inside of you as well. Uh, I, I then used to go to the, the, what they call the yes groups. Uh, which was set up not by Robbins, but independent people that have been on to Robbins in London, in Birmingham. I, in fact, run the Birmingham Yes Group for a while as well, where we had lots of speakers. We, you know, tried to keep people topped up with the, with the feeling that they had after they left, because everybody feels that sinking feeling 
but you had to keep that momentum going. Yeah. So anyway, and then in the in the next year, then I decided now I'm going to get out of the industry. How am I going to get out? Well, because I've been on Robbins and I had already started doing kinesiology training, I which was all about health and well-being and everything. I completely reformulated myself. So 2004 January, I gave up meat, I gave up alcohol, um, and haven't touched it since. And it was a total transformation of me, my physical well-being, understanding what health and well-being. And I went. I literally woke up one morning. I went. I want to become a nutritionist. And I had in the. I kind of missed out in the story, a tiny thing. I had gone to see the kinesiologist. She had diagnosed me with with something in my gut, which is called candida. Uh, she gave me some stuff. Uh, I had to stop eating lots of sugar. She it cured. It went away. Um, I was worried about it because my sister suffers with Crohn's disease, and I thought I was getting the same thing, and it wasn't. No, no medical intervention at all required. So I became a believer. But I rang her and I went, "Right, I want to become a nutritionist. How do I do it?" She said, "Why don't you become a kinesiologist?" I went, oh, "No way. I could never do that." And she said, well, why don't you ring this nutritionist who trained as a nutritionist, then became a kinesiologist, and let her give her view. So I rang this woman, said, no, no, become, become a kinesiologist first. You can always do nutrition after. Nutrition is part of the course anyway. So for three years, I studied kinesiology. So, and, so at this point here, for those that are listening, because the yeah. is quite more common, you know, obviously people know about nutrition. Um, mm. And kinesiology is one of those things that is used in different ways for different things. But yes. just explain from your point of view yeah. and what kinesiology is, how it works, your and your experience to it, of it as well. Obviously, there are many different strands of kinesiology, 100%. The one that I did was classical kinesiology. And in essence, it uses parts of something called Touch for Health, uh, which was instigated by chap who name I forget uh, in America, which is a sense muscle response testing. I mean, kinesiology is used for athletes, but this is used for health. Um, basically, people lie on a couch on their back and they have to hold their leg or arms or neck in a certain position hold it and the therapist will push the muscle in a certain direction. If there's a strength or weakness, it gives you an indication what's happening. All our farm muscles communicate to the hypothalamus in our brain. So there's this communication going on and all of our muscles are connected to our organs as well. And therefore, if you've got something going on with your spleen or your uh, intestines or your liver or your heart or anything else you can discover this through muscle testing now it's not medical um it it is almost for me it was like magic because you could diagnose people's underlying underlying condition and issues and often when we have pain it's never the origin of the pain the origin is somewhere else. And you could discover that through kinesiology. So we would give them some advice on what they could do, foods to cut out, some supplements that they could use to boost that part of uh, the body. 
and then hopefully it will balance out. So what's it? it's kind of balancing the imbalances in the body. Most commonly, it's known for allergy testing. Mm. So people, um, so if you go, if you want, you know, allergy testing that is not invasive, like blood tests and stuff, go to a kinesiologist because they can determine any food stuffs that you might be allergic to. Uh, very, very accurate testing method. Anyway, little so, intro there. So you're studying... To do kinesiology. So what happened was um, I was feeling so confident about myself. I would say probably a little bit too confident that I could set up my business in a heartbeat, you know, take massive action, as Tony Robbins says, and just, you know, make it fly. And um, so what happened in... 2005 I hadn't fully qualified yet but I was getting close to being qualified my idea was to you know go into businesses and help people with well-being in at work and I was far too early for that <laughs> far too early I I was working on my project while still working and I did a bit of photocopying at work and somebody discovered I was running my, people accused me for running my business at work, which I didn't do. I used to photocopy it, that was all. And, um, and they said, you gotta go. Oh, wow. And actually I was happy to go because it was, in fact, the date I remember driving away in my company car, my flash company car, away from the building and on my dashboard it said the 4th of July and I screamed you ah. know it was Independence Day and I haven't worked for an employer since then 2005 4th of July and it was like wow you know I can now I'm on my own type of thing did, but, they, did they did they sack you or make you redundant because obviously no no they sacked me yeah because there's no, uh, no severance pay around yeah, there was a bit of severance pay. Yeah, it was like a mutual. It's an agreement. Yeah, okay. They yeah, mutual. Yeah. That's right. Mutual sacking, kind of. <laughs> you're running your business from here. I said, well, I'm not, but I'm happy to go. <laughs> that type <laughs> of thing. Um, yeah, how do we find I, a way out that we can both agree on sign the bit? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a business yet. You know, I didn't have a business, so. I kind of registered my business in the end in 2005. I kind of qualified properly in 2006. And then with a friend um, who's a mind coach, we started setting up these workshops, which we ran publicly and uh, wanted to get into companies. And I had something called the wellness inventory I was using from America, which was very new. I mean, cut a long story short, it, it became really, really tough. So, you know, money was running out or running low and it was a bit of a struggle. And then I found out the first ever well-being at work NEC exhibition was taking place ever that ever happened in the country. Wow. And I was going to present at it. I would have a booth. And I'm sure some people will know it costs a fortune to exhibit even a tiny booth with nothing on it costs thousands of pounds. Yeah, I found the money somehow, credit cards, whatever, and I exhibited there and got zero business out of it, which 
depressed me a bit for a while, but I kept going because, you know, I had more self-belief now, Andrew, much more self-belief. And so then it was about pitching companies, cold calling, visiting them, people not really understanding. Well, why, why would we want this? It was only just starting this well-being at work. I had lots of research. Government was doing lots of research. Companies had to do this. And then on the 15th of September, 2007, my birthday, yeah. Northern Rock collapsed. Who I had my mortgage with as well. And um, so basically that's when everything changed because businesses now were not willing to invest in people. And we then got this interest from Virgin Trains. And then in January, 2008, took a long time. Sales cycle was like three, four months. They were going to do something in the new year. And then we got the call in January saying everything's canceled because of now the recession was starting to hit. And then it didn't really truly kick in until 2008, but it just turned upside down. Yeah. So I had to do something else. I couldn't continue. Money had run out. Basically, I spent a lot of money on a lot of printing and a lot of stuff, marketing, websites, whatever. So I now had to do something else. And my sister introduced me to this company who did um, online learning, uh, but no videos, all text-based. So I worked for them for, did sales for a while, but it wasn't that enjoyable for me. Um, I got some nice contracts for them, but it was also at the same time that social media started to emerge. And I became very, very interested in that and became a very early adopter and decided in my wisdom that I wanted to teach people social media. You know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, la, 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 all the other things that were going out. I mean, I threw heart and soul into it. And then um, I was doing, then I decided I would do LinkedIn only. And B2B, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to help small businesses. And that took hold, actually. And people appreciated that and started to pay me for it. They didn't understand about branding yourself and branding yourself, having a good profile on LinkedIn and telling a good story, right? That's, that's where the underlying development of storytelling happened for me, really. So I started to develop that side of LinkedIn with small businesses because I was a small business and I understood their challenges. So I could go have a look at my profile, copy what I do. I will just add a caveat because we might not even get to it on this discussion is that I'm not as big a fan anymore of social media. (laughs) (laughs) But it worked for me at the time. It worked for me. Absolutely, yeah. But then I got contacted via LinkedIn by this company who did video training, mm. who had gone from the conventional large kind of training systems that are very boring that people have to work in corporates to go to like a YouTube version. Still very early days for YouTube and all of that. And they brought me on board as a sales guy for them, like a freelancer. Now, they were a gift and not a gift. They were not a gift because we parted company. 
But in the process, and this is where it begins, in the process, they were doing some videos, which were images with some text and whatever. And that's where my video production skills started. And I started to produce these two minute videos with some images and some text. But then I came across, whilst I was doing this, I was on YouTube a lot, looking at things and producing these things. I came across uh, a, a thing called RSA Anime. The Royal Society of Arts were doing animations, which were these hand-drawn um, videos where you would see these pictures being drawn out by hand and with a voice narrating it. And... Um, it would, it would cost like 10 to 15,000 pounds. We went, okay, forget it. Far too expensive. <laughs> but I had this kind of burning feeling. I want to do something along that lines. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in front of my nose is this piece of software where you can do this yourself. I went, oh, my God, all my wishes have come true. <laughs> this is what I've wanted to do. And I listened to a previous podcast that you did, uh, I think, on creativity, which yeah. I really enjoyed listening to. But I never thought I was creative in a million years. I can't draw, right? So to have the software with already drawings in it was perfect. And I then had to learn how to use the software. It was really tough, but I did it. I, I managed it. I had the self-belief and I started producing it. I started promoting myself and I got picked up by a video company in London who was doing some work for one of the big consultancy companies and they were based in Germany. And he was given the contract and I was basically a supplier to him to produce this. And then for the next six to 10 months, I was producing these videos and getting paid lots of money for it. And I went, I've cracked it. This is it. I've cracked it. Keep doing this and then retire. Yay. Yeah. I'm on my way until that contract finished. And then I had to find other business. Um, but then I decided it was great, great using the clip art. But in that project, I, I found that the clip art wasn't enough. And I was getting a lot of pushback. No, no, you're not giving us the right image. And I was kind of going, well, that's the nearest image I can get. And I said, I really need somebody who can draw images for me. But I found somebody through my graphic designer and I started getting business in the USA, uh, in the UK, and I've come from Spain, from the continent, uh, charities, smaller businesses, big businesses, really, really great. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And what I love, and I know, I know you're going to come to this question about tingle, but <laughs> this is where it's at, basically. This is what gets my tingle. It's this creativity. Mm. And it's not just the animation creativity. It's a lot more. It's everything around it that, that really gets me going. And um, so really going great guns you know i'm really enjoying it and getting business and getting referrals and and the only disappointing thing for me was repeat business i wasn't getting that repeats business it was always new business new business new business taking people from ground zero to get them to understand it i also changed uh 
designer and I found this young chap not far away from me in Worcester and he is brilliant. So, you know, I do the script. I then write the descriptions of what I want the image to look like. And then I give him the storyboard. He draws the sketches. I present it to the client. They sign it off. We do the proper uh, drawings. I pull them into my software. I get a great voiceover, freelance voiceover into it. I find correct music. I put all of those elements together and then produce this kind of, you know, less than 120 seconds video, ideally, mm. uh, because of people's attention span these days. And um, yeah, and that's that's really where I am and, and the kind of whole storytelling. And then just to kind of finish off on, in terms of where I am right now, and that is I've always wanted more movement in the the animation, you know, because they're flat images, you can see a hand drawing it, but the images aren't moving, you know. So we started introducing things like eye blinks, you know, so the eyes are blinking just to add a little bit more kind of 2D animation into it, uh, which my graphic, de my designer has to do. So during lockdown, um, I was very frustrated. It all dried up. You know, I'm a I'm a small limited company because that's what my accountant advised at the time. Uh, so there's so no handouts from the government, zero. Um, anyway, you know, suck it basically, and see where it takes you. But I wanted to then go. Okay, maybe I've got to diversify. So then I came across this thing, um, this particular software called Toon Boom Harmony, which unknown to me at the time was being used by all the big um, animation houses and becoming more and more popular. And there's a big shortage in terms of people using that. So I can see that 2D animation is only going to continue to grow um, bigger and bigger and bigger. There is more demand for it by the studios. There's more demand for it on TV. And I still want to work in the small business market but I want to make it accessible to small businesses that they can have really punchy 2D animation blended with the whiteboard animation as well. So I'm going to do the two together mm. and make it really zing and that people can go, wow, this looks really great. You know, so there's a lot of creativity. I've got this kind of vision in my head of what it will look like, but I've got to realize it now you know i've got to make it happen um so that's the journey i'm on today if, what i've what i've liked about the your your journey through is you you at most stages you've kind of been ahead of the game on things you could be in that as you say an early adopter you got into um uh, linkedin before people were into linkedin and sort of and and so you're, you're kind of always ahead of the curve yes. <laughs> it felt all all the way through um and just as just a note, there's a there's a huge power in what you've done because you at each step you said, oh, I don't kind of use that anymore. I don't do LinkedIn anymore. And and we can fall into a trap of being in a space, moving on, but not realizing we've moved on and being stuck in that thing that we've attached ourselves to. Because there's identity around it when we become a thing in that space. <laughs> yes. But I, yes. I, I'm very impressed the way you've 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 let that go. I'm sure it's not necessarily that easy. <laughs> no. <laughs> have done. 
um, to free yourself up to move to the next level, the next level. So I just wanted to reflect that and um, put that out there. Um, sort of taking a bigger picture um, and the thing that gets you excited. So t tell us more about one story in itself, the importance of story, the power of story, and two, how you pull that out of the people you work with in order to get it into a, an animation. Yeah. Uh, really, it's, it's so simple that people can't see it. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? Um, what I always say to people, every single one of us has a story, right? We, we all have a story. We all have the same story. And we go, no, no, we don't. I'm not the same as you. I said, people, I say, people, times, places, events are different. Granted, granted. But we're born in this world. We have a mum and dad. We have siblings or not. We learn to speak. We learn to walk. We go to some education if we're lucky. Um, we grow up. We want to earn money. We want to be independent. You know, we we grow up. We experience things, and we perish. In essence, the story of us human beings on this planet is the same. We're not living anywhere else. We're living in the same place. We all go through suffering. Everybody has pain. Everybody has to overcome pain, physical, mental, emotional. Everybody loses relatives. Everybody has sadness. You know, we, we empathize with each other because we know what it's like. And therefore, the stories that you hear about people that you empathize with, or the stories that you see in films, you empathize with or you enjoy watching because they're your story too. Mm. And they may be a different, slightly different story, but in essence, it's the same story. It's about overcoming things and being successful again or being happy or having enjoyment in life or whatever it might be. So I take them on a journey that says, first of all, let's explain what happens in the brain because the brain is really stupid. It's hardwired to experience certain things, you know? So, right, when, when you did your TED talk, there's a number of things that happen. When you tell your stories in a TED talk, it activates a part in the brain that allows the listener to turn the story into their own ideas and experience. And it's called neural coupling. So you already have in your brain a story that's very similar to the story that is being spoken about. So in your TED talk, when I listen to you, I can't help picking up the things that you say and relating it to my own experience and go, yeah, I've been there or yeah, that's me, you know. And that's the biggest part you want to get across is that neural coupling where people go, oh, yeah, I've experienced that. And immediately you've got their attention. 
The other thing that happens in a TED talk is mirroring. So that people will experience the same brain activity as the speaker. Mm. So you kind of, do you remember um, the Borg in Star yeah. Trek? Oh, yeah. You know, where they... Oh, you will be assimilated and all that. Assimilated. <laughs> Effectively, you're assimilating the whole audience. Um, and the brains are literally getting on the same wavelength. So that's how you get the connection with storytelling. And I mean, a great example of that is when you listen to somebody either on radio or television, doesn't matter what the context is, but they've got a little tickle in the throat and they're <clears throat> just <clears throat> coughing on. And as a listener, you start getting a tickle in the throat yes. and a cough at the yes. same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's a really good example. So physiologically, it happens. And we also know that you start to mirror the, you know, even if you're speaking to people one-on-one, -on -one, let's say, more so than one-to-many, but if you're sitting opposite somebody and you're talking to each other, you know, your legs get crossed or you put your hands and your arms in the same position as the person that's speaking to you. It just happens naturally. The third thing is dopamine. And lots of people, there's a chemical in the brain, you know, if there's an emotionally charged event, like a happy or sad thing that happens, and you have, make an emotional connection with the individual or the story, you will remember it for longer. So when people can connect with the story, it will stay with them for much longer. So why do you think advertisers who have 30 seconds to get their product across are using animals? in their adverts <laughs> yeah, or children, you know, cause everyone goes, Oh, look at that little penguin, you know, <laughs> Oh, look at the little pussycat. I mean, people <laughs> might not even remember the product, but they'll remember the animal because this is like a happy charged event in your brain and you just remember it. I mean, it, it, that, that, that totally explains the, uh, the only reason why the uh, unstoppable rise of the meerkat. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <dear>. it's, <laughs> it's incredible. That campaign must be the most successful campaign ever. But something to... that people still didn't even know what they're signing up for. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> anyway. Well, Wait. I mean, I always say the advert has a purpose. Imagine you take a rock and now you're going to hammer the rock with, with a hammer, <laughs> a metal <laughs> hammer on the rock and you keep hitting it over and over and over again. Eventually you will chip away mm. some of the stone in the rock, but that indentation on the rock will stay there forever. Right. That's what advertising does. Yeah. They have 30 seconds to just hit your brain over and over and over and over until, until it just stays in your brain. And you buy stuff in the supermarket or online these days, and you don't even know why you're buying it. And another example of everything you've just said there is taken out of advertising is just our own lives. It always frustrates me a little bit when people say, oh, dear, my memory these days. I can remember what I did when I was five years old, but I can't remember what I did yesterday. Oh. And of course, that's not how memory works. It works exactly the way you've just told us. It's either 
an emotionally charged thing. So remember the emotional events that have happened in the past very, very clearly because it's poof, it's it's hit us or something has been repeated over and over again. So something happened when we were five and then we remembered it the next day for whatever reason. And the yes. week later and two weeks later, and just as you say, that little chip in the rock has just been indented and dented. You can't remember what you did 10 minutes after that thing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the brain has no concept of time. You can't remember any more than you did yesterday. But that's because yesterday you didn't do anything interesting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yep. 100%. 100%. And the fourth thing is cortex activity. For example, if you're reading a book that has no pictures in it, right, you have to create the pictures mm. in your brain. You have to imagine what that person is talking about. And all of us have the different picture. Yes. And if you don't create pictures, the story doesn't come alive in your brain. These are just word, blank words on a piece of paper that mean nothing. You have to do the work on that. And, and therefore, it also activates the motor sensory things in your brain. So if you're reading or listening or watching a story about, you know, somebody running, your brain is activating your part in the brain for running mm. or drinking, or there are so many examples. There's, there's countless examples where people can, if you, if you get people to, I mean, you know, you know, you're, most people know in hypnotherapy, you can make people do stuff. You can make people think about stuff and it feels like it's real. Mm. I've experienced it. I was hypnotized by my uncle and, you know, I went back to like a four-year-old in a garden and it was all sorts of crazy things happening in my brain because the brain is stupid. <laughs> stupid in some ways and good in the others, but yeah. Um, but I remember- It what... believes what it hears and sees yes, instantly. Exactly. You know, and it will activate certain things. So those are, that's like the foundation. If you've got to understand that certain things happen in the brain and most people kind of go, oh, right, that explains why I do this or that. And, um, and, and, and again, just as you say, it's sort of hardwired because um, people forget that, um, you know, you talk about the words and we need to translate them into images. You know, our ability to read and write is only about a thousand years old, if that, 700 yes. years old. Uh, the, 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 they used to have the, the, the people who could read and write, but they, they were a small bunch as a populace. It was only released to us like when you like the King James Bible in some situations, for example, um, yeah. with very limited education. So we are not really as a species that familiar with writing. And our no. entire ancestry is based around stories and images and uh, the storytelling that was passed down word of mouth from generation to generation. And that's that is that is that is written through our core. Yes. These little details, these technical things like writing have been imposed on top. Yeah. And then the other big thing, of course, is we're introduced to storytelling by our parents when we're tiny. Once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. So we're exposed to stories at a very, very young age, and we believe every single word in those stories too. And that little brain has to imagine everything 
okay, some books you kind of show pictures, but most of the time it's like, oh, tell me a story and I'll just lie here and listen. And that brain has to activate all of the imagery, putting themselves into that movie that's playing in the brain. And so we are, get, we are hardwired for stories. Most conversations these days are in stories. People go, oh, how are you? And they tell a story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how are you? You know, and so, you know, when my wife brings her mother and checks in, oh, what's happened in the close today? You know, or such and such done this and such and such done that. They're all like little mini stories all the time. Mm. We don't even realize we're doing it. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying it's so simple that it's there, it's there all the time. We haven't got a clue it's there. Yeah, and as you say, it can take all sorts of shapes and sizes. You can have that big story, which can end up being a, a book, a, a long video, a film, whatever it might be, or it can be down as small as 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Yes. Which bits you yeah. take out as long as you're hitting the right points. Yeah. I mean, I was watching the, because um, I didn't want to watch the rugby last night, so I watched the the BAFTAs. And I, if I had a, you know, a pound for every time somebody said the word storytelling. Because <laughs> everybody that got the award was saying, the, you know, the storytelling by him and storytelling by her. And, you know, it was all about, we love bringing these stories alive for people. And it's all just about storytelling. Life's about storytelling. I mean, just imagine the stories that are being told in the world today about events that are going on. Um, and then the other thing to share is just four words, the four key things that we have to have in place for all stories. And number one, relatability. There is no point giving, as a small business, putting a story out there that people can't relate to it. Your audience, it needs to be relatable to the audience. So there's no point telling a story about something that they can't go, oh yeah, that's, that's about me, you know, or that's how it affects me too. It also have, has to have an element of novelty. Now, the writers in Hollywood have the toughest job when they're doing these uh, blockbuster serials, Star Wars, let's say, we know Star Wars went wrong somewhere along the line because there was too much novelty. Hmm. Because people remember the first movie, most people do, but when the, the next kind of series came out, there was so much new stuff, so many new characters. It was like, yeah, but it's not like the old one, is it? Disconnected, yeah. But if, if they did exactly the same movie, so, well, that's exactly as the last one. <laughs> Why do you want to see that? You know, so there has to be enough in the movie or the story that is old from previous, mm. but there has to be novelty that it's new. It's like a different take. I haven't seen this before. So it's memorable. And then the third element is tension. You need to create tension to get people's attention. And it's important because it creates that emotional spark, the dopamine that makes it more memorable again. Yeah. 
And then people kind of go, oh, it's, you know, it's a little bit, what's going to happen now type of thing. I mean, we know that even when we go and watch these blockbuster movies, sometimes we can come out of them and our heart's still racing because there's been so much, and you've just been sitting on a chair, <laughs> you know, because you've had that tension in your body. Fourth one, and it's overlooked um, quite a bit, but there has to be fluency in the story. Mm. You know, it has to, it has to have a, a, um, a flow to it where there's a start, there's a middle, and there's an end. I know it sounds simple, but I mean, sometimes I say to people, don't have an end, leave people hanging because that key leaves them in tension, right? Because you could do another story, a second story that will then add some more, you know, because people are then waiting for that. The famous adverts that I remember, and most people won't know necessarily, is the Nescafe adverts they did, where there was this couple, gold blend. you never know where they're going to get together or not. Gold, gold blend with... Um, gold blend, yeah. Bells from Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> other, other coffee brands are available as well. <laughs> so, that, yeah, there has to be a flow, a fluency in the story that people can, you know, and it, and it shows the concept of, of bringing that again it's defining what a story is by by people hanging on you know as you say not giving it an ending it takes the story you've got that mini story but then you pull mm. out into a bigger story that this is just a chapter of and then it becomes a yes. serial so you, your, your pitch doesn't need to be the complete story it's just to get attention and start moving and as you say yes. attention then they want to know more and then get excited and then yeah because at the end of the day, we want to, why do we want to promote our business in a digital format? There is only one reason, and that is to have a conversation with the client who's interested and wants to know more. If you give them all the information, this is what happens very often with clients. They want to give all the information in like a four or five minute video, all of the answers, everything else. No one's going to contact you. <laughs> you got to leave something on the table. You got to make them work a little bit. And they will. We underestimate the capacity of people's brains and the ability that they have to fill in the gaps. Now, if you leave a tiny bit of a gap, it means, oh, I need to contact these people because I want to learn more. Mm. Not I've got all the answers. Well, it's just one option. I'll just slide it to one side. You know, endings are the hardest thing to do. Or I always remember the story about Blackadder, their their final series, and how they oh yeah yeah were going to end that, and it took them a long time. They had several endings that they prepared, you know, and they didn't know which one was going to work the best. It's the hardest thing to do for any story mm -hmm. is to create an appropriate ending. You almost need to know the ending before you start the story. <laughs> as a writer. <laughs> yeah, as a writer, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think um, <laughs> with Blackadder Goes Forth, I think the end, it, I, I didn't find that the best series. I, I think it gets overrated a little bit, but the ending mm. is the best ending of yeah series ever. It's still, yeah. still incredibly powerful. So if you've not yeah. watched Blackadder, go and watch the <laughs> yes. Blackadder Goes Forth. Um, and I dare you not to cry. Um, no, thank you for that. That's that. There's some really um, 
yeah, useful insights into sort of how it works and the power of um, of story um, mm. uh, and how we can do that. Um, so just, uh, yeah, so you've touched on it earlier on, um, but um, just sort of pull things together and bring it in one way, because I want to ask you the question that everybody gets asked. I'm going to put it to you direct, but um, yes. just, what, let, let it come up. Whatever comes up for you in response to the question. Yeah. Um, Michael, what makes your bits tingle? <laughs> it's a great question. Thank you, Andrew. Um, what for me is starting with a blank sheet of paper and having to create something that I don't even know what it's going to look like. But I have now the confidence and creativity inside of me to deliver something that I can be genuinely proud of and I can make my client, customer, happy with the end result. And I know, because I've done it so many times now, that the process of seeing, starting from that blank sheet of paper and then creating something that no one's ever seen before and is one of its kind, because there's nothing like it, and it will hopefully help the client and customer get do whatever they need to do. But it's just knowing that that whole process, I enjoy so much because I have to literally sit down in front of a computer or, or an iPad and go, right, how am I going to create this story? This is the brief. This is the rough guidelines. How am I going to create it? And stuff comes up in my head from nowhere. <laughs> it just arrives and I kind of go, how's that even possible? You know, yesterday I wasn't thinking about it. Today, I'm not forcing my brain. I'm just allowing it to come up, you know. And nine times out of 10, the scripts that I write, the visual direction that I create, the sketches that Josh, my designer, puts together are signed off with very, very little amendment. Excellent. And when that happens, it really makes my bits tingle. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Michael. That's uh, beautifully, beautifully encapsulated. I mean, if people want to find you, track you down, find out more about you, um, what you're up to, what should they do? Where should well, they, the easiest way is to Google at Staying Alive UK, which is the name of my business. And just to explain why it's called Staying Alive UK, if you go back to the beginning of the story, when I was in the wellness industry, um, I literally woke up one morning with that name staying alive in my head. And yes, I heard the Bee Gees song in my head. And yes, I've used it at presentations <laughs> and played the music and had people singing it in the room because everyone knows it. And therefore, it kind of stuck. Now, when I've had to reinvent my business along the way, I went, okay, what do I call my business now? Well, I've already got a bit of a footprint. I've already got SEO. Let's just stick with Staying Alive UK. And that's what's stuck. And it's a bit of a metaphor too, 
because businesses need to stay alive. What you want, what you need to do, well, you need to promote yourself. You need to create interesting stories. You need people buy into what you're doing. And the stories don't always have to be about product and service. They can also be about people, which is even more powerful inside an animation too. So yeah, they can Google me or go to stayingaliveuk.com. Or if they want to get all the different links, just go to bio.link forward slash staying alive UK. And you'll find all the different links and social media on there. That's the easiest way. Thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll stick all that information into the, uh, into the show notes. And um, yeah. And again, as you say, the, the, the stories, they, they, it brings, brings the, the, the company alive, brings those people alive, doesn't it? And obviously keeps them there. So it fits in well with that sort of concept too. Um, thank you, Michael. I, 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 as you were going through your original, you know, the stories you built up, I'd been obviously making some notes and thinking about stuff. And one thing I, um, we didn't sort of touch on specifically, but I, it's very important, particularly when people are um, starting out in business and, 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 or even if you're halfway through and still feeling like unsure. What, what I liked about your journey was you got to a point where you were confident, you know, you had that self-confidence and that experience with, um, with uh, Tony Robbins and you felt good within yourself and you, you, you just went for it. <laughs> you know, I'm yes. jumping, I'm going, I'm moving, moving. And then something didn't work. And you went, okay, right, but I'm still confident, I'll keep moving. And you never really knew where you were going. You just kept trying different things, doing different things, finding what worked, what didn't work, move on, move on. It was tough, it was hard, but you kept going, kept going, kept going. Mm. Always with that uh, inner confidence, ultimately, that something will work. And this is the thing about our purpose, finding what we do or whatever it might be, is it doesn't automatically present itself. We've got to get out there and try different things and yes. go down wrong routes and backtrack and all that kind of stuff. And 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 so I was going to make a mention on that. And then I just thought it's so beautiful when I asked you what makes your bits tingle. Your response was, I like sitting down with a blank bit of paper, starting with the natural confidence of my creativity and then just letting it go and seeing where it comes from. And in like three minutes, you just encapsulated your entire journey. <laughs> you do right now. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I've never made that connection. Thank you for doing that. That's, yeah, 100%. So, um, so brilliant. Thank you for that, Michael. Really enjoyed that. Some great stuff in there. Uh, yeah, talk, story is, uh, is just essential to everything we do. Without it, it's it's just dead. <laughs> it's yes. just lifeless. It's cold. Um, bringing your company alive, bringing yourself alive, bringing your relationships alive. And um, uh, we look forward to the, the next generation of 2D animation that you're bringing, uh, bringing to the fore forefront. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Um, uh, so thank you so much for your time and um, wish you all the best for the coming years it's been a pleasure thank you thank you very much these podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers i want you to think about what's been said what's come up and how you might apply that to your own situation and if you've enjoyed it then please subscribe to the podcast and of course share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle. <laughs>